Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. Welcome to Coffee Is That Me podcast. I'm your host, Valerian Rada. How was your week? Any great coffee you tried? Perhaps a business idea? I have to admit, after the previous episode, I played around with the idea of starting a coffee cart. Just for fun, to, to try it out. Well, perhaps next year. I'm too busy this year. For me, the last week was very busy. I had few website issues I had to fix. Not my favorite thing, but hey, had to be done. But weekend, on the other hand, was really awesome. I volunteered for the 2015 Good Food Awards. I met a lot of coffee friends and potential new guests for the podcast. On Sunday, I packed my family and we went to Napa to harvest some grapes. I love harvesting grapes, but you should not trust me. I like to eat them while harvesting. Okay, here's a question for you. What? can exclusive clothing and coffee have in common? A store. In today's episode, we will continue the interview with Gwilym Davies. We are going to talk about how to open a successful cafe, perhaps teaming up with a business which shares the same values as you, but is in a different industry, hence the question in the beginning. Gwilym will share his experience opening multiple cafes which led to Proof Rock, THE cafe in London. We will talk about the importance of passion and love to create successful mindset for your business. You get answers for questions like, you get answers to questions like, can you start a cafe without an espresso maker? Why should you not copy other businesses if you want your cafe to succeed? Is the quality of the coffee important or is it more about the beautiful latte art skills? Finally, very important topic. We're going to give a new definition to cafe and roasters relation. I was shocked that this relation in many cases is non-existent. Personally, I believe it is very important and it can benefit both brands, the roaster and the cafe. There's plenty of other ideas William shared if you want to discuss them or you have a question, join our coffeeis.me Facebook group. The easiest way to do so is go to coffeeis.me website and click community, which you can find on the top menu. This will take you to the Facebook group and just click apply and I will approve you. Finally, as you know, I'm becoming an obsessed iTunes review collector. <laughs> if you like this podcast or you want to share your thoughts on content or the quality, I would like to encourage you to leave me a review and feed my obsession. If you do not use iTunes, you can leave reviews on Stitcher, TuneIn or SoundCloud. One of you will be rewarded with Bootcamp Barista membership like 3Rabbit, GM Pretzel or CoreyW50, who according to her review is starting a coffee roasting company in Morocco. How cool is that? By the way, I know there is an issue with my math. I promised one, but giving out three memberships. As I told you, I really got inspired by Gwilym and I'm trying the under-promise and over-delivery strategy on you. Last announcement before we start. We are close to launch a new product, built together with Boot Coffee, the coffeecourses.com. 
but I will need some help to test our system. Coffeecourses.com contains all our courses, including Bootcamp Barista, and I would like to offer it for 10 of you for $40 off. So instead of $49.95, you will get it for $9.95 for six months. If interested, go to coffeecourses.com, add basic barista course to your card, and check out with a coupon code COFFEEISME. This offer is exclusively for listeners of this episode, as it will not appear anywhere else. It is not a free 40 bucks, so just bear it in mind, because I want to know your experience with the checkout process and the system itself. If you want to know more about coffeecourses.com, I will share some information at the end of the show after William's interview. Okay, let's do this. Well, one thing what you did, and <clears throat> I got it this from one of your interviews, and I had this idea for a long time, and I never knew that, you know, uh, it's a good idea or a bad idea, is kind of creating a synergy with someone who has the same kind of values like you in coffee, but in a different industry. So what you did, guys, you teamed up with a clothing store. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, this is really funny. Yeah. Um, complete accident. It was my second winter on the, the coffee car outside, and the uh, one of my regular customers was opening a clothing store. And uh, they went, oh, Gulen, you have this coffee machine. And we were talking about it, and uh, I couldn't use it properly. It was the lever machine. So oh. uh, we were playing around with it, and Square Mile had to put a case on it and, and tested various things on it. and went, this is really confusing. The pressure changes and the temperature changes and the flow changes and uh, no idea. We we made a couple of nice coffees off it, but we never really fully knew how to use it. So this this became an opportunity for me to, one, avoid the next winter uh, outside <laughs> and two, try and understand how this lever machine works because I can put it in the front of their clothing store. We We moved into the front of the clothing store it's a male clothing store but it is uh, really interesting clothes really well selected and well crafted but men don't really like walking into clothes stores if there's a coffee machine in the front then they'll come in and they'll buy a coffee and they'll stand around for a little bit and then they'll start wandering in the shop but what we found was uh um, 70% of our customers were females. And they, they would come in um, because the environment in the cafe, for, in the, well, it wasn't even a cafe. It was just a coffee cart in the front of a clothes store that looked like a counter. They would come in. They felt very comfortable in the space. And they would buy something for boyfriends or husbands or somebody uh, and leave. And it was great for us and great for the coffee store as well it was also like a little bit of protection from the clothing store i mean there, there, there is a some um, london's london's a beautiful city but it's not the safest city mm. in the world so you would get sort of some of the gangs would run in grab everything they can and run out again but if there's a coffee place right at the start they have to go through that first and then pass through it again on the way out and it, it acts like a, a little a little barrier even if it's just in somebody's head because i'm not the most sort of like uh, toughest guy in the world 
Yeah, I love this story because, you know, uh, when I moved here in 2010, one of my ideas was I just open a roastery or something, you know, and I just start to do business here. But Bay Area, it's around San Francisco, it's extremely saturated with amazing coffee. I mean, I, it's just very hard to start anything. Yes. So one of yes. my ideas was, without knowing this, your story, was that starting something like, you know, there's a, it's a very good wine industry not far away, the Napa and Sonoma. Yes. And we have also very cool cheese here, like like the, you know, cows are out in the fields and you can see them and they make cheese. It's pretty awesome. So kind of put up with them kind of like a joint venture. But I'm in a yes. different way. I'm in the education way. But then I started to see that this is actually starting to happen with cafes. Like, let's say a company doesn't have money to start their own cafe, but they start as a kind of synergy with somebody else. So it's yes. a, I think it's a very interesting business model. Like we have the uh, Linea Cafe in San Francisco. Yes. It's owned by Andrew yeah, Barnett. Yeah, Andrew. Andrew. Exactly. Amazing guy. He, amazing. He so up, lovely. Oh, that guy is amazing. I mean, it's just, you know, he's so humble and just fun to talk to, you know. Yeah. So he has these... Uh, Linea Cafe, where he teamed up with a waffle store. I mean, the guys are making very good waffles. He's making his espresso and having fun. You know, great. Yeah. We have the Equator's Coffee here in in um, very close to me in San Rafael. The first cafe they opened was Proof Lab, and it was a store together with surfing store. Like they had surfing yeah. clothes and boards and whatever. You know, yeah. I think it can it can work, and you are the proof that it's it's a good idea to try to find somebody who has the same philosophy in a different industry and you can kind of help you help each other. It was also very good because our rent was a percentage. Mm. So if we didn't make much, then we didn't have to give much. So I knew that I would get a percentage of the, uh, the takings as a wage. And because it's easy to work out a percentage of the costs of the coffee you will use. It's easy. To have the rent as a percentage as well, that's amazing. So I, I knew that at least I was going to walk away with something. Mm-hmm. Because if, if I took £100 in a week, then I'd be paying £10 rent. And then the cost of the coffee and then the rest was ours. So we really didn't make that much. We didn't need to. The, the idea was there was two of us and we wanted to make enough to, to pay our bills and we could get on with all our other little projects. What was fun was what uh, something you said was about people with the same attitudes, mm-hmm. even though they're in a different industry. And it was very interesting to see their obsession with clothes mm-hmm. and how much uh, it fitted in with us and our personalities. And it, it was just a different product. Yeah, I'm not very religious, but I do believe, uh, maybe some people call it karma. I believe that kind of like if you have passion for something, that energy radiates from both sides and you kind of, you know, radiate it towards your customers. Maybe it's a bit holistic, but, you know, I I do believe that. I really truly do believe that. I'm not the biggest fan of hunting. I was a vegetarian and vegan for years. And uh, we were in Portland and I went to a shop. And uh, they were a hunting shop. And it, it was selling hunting things for men. Mm-hmm. And, amazing. I loved it. I loved it. I spent over an hour in that shop because the guy knew so much. And he was so enthusiastic and passionate about something I actually hated. <laughs> I hung on to his passion. And I came away with like three things from his shop. 
And I was so pleased. And I, I remember this. There's some guy I have nothing in common with at all. But the passion drew me to the shop. And I can imagine that happening in coffee as well, where if people are showing the, the passion and the, the just the enjoyment and fun of the coffee, then people will be drawn anyway going, come with me, come with me, look at, look at these people. Aren't they so weird? Look, look what they're doing. They really like their coffee. Yeah, so yeah, there must be something in it. <laughs> okay, so next step. I think this was a good training for you to start thinking of your first cafe. And uh, I always wonder what's the sign? What's the sign in your life that now you are ready and you want to start your own cafe? I'm like many people where uh, I, I wanted a cafe since '97 uh, or something and never did it. There is no excuse not to open your own cafe. None. It's like I can open a business within a day. Somebody can give me a space and I can be open. No problem at all. I mean, to do the same in many other countries in the world, it, it's months and months and months of paperwork and waiting. It's like in the UK, all you have to do is literally open the door. You're away. I mean, we opened uh, with um, a guy called Tim Styles and Square Mile uh, were the people behind it. We opened... Uh, a very small venue where we didn't even have an espresso machine. Oh. We just had three uh, brew methods. Uh, we didn't have to worry about milk. We just did black coffee, three brew, brew methods, three different coffees, a little bit of chocolate, and sold that. And then some retail stuff, and it made a profit. It's like, and we, we, it, we were in there because uh, people didn't want the space for three months or whatever. Okay, let, let me repeat that. So you started a cafe without, again, without espresso maker, with two yeah. simple brewing methods, and yeah. you made profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, you say the word you. It's like me. I was involved. but No, I you as a plural. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was helping the, the guys out. Uh, but definitely, uh, yeah, Square Mile, Tim Styles, they um, started this thing called the Penny University. And it was amazing. And it worked. And there was a big queue out the door. You don't have to have huge investment. I did that, a weird thing with the espresso maker, because my dream is open a cafe where you just serve coffee. Just, you know, you have <laughs> brewing methods. Because I, I'm, okay, I admit I'm not a big espresso guy. I'm actually, I don't like espresso anymore. I used to be a nerd, but nah, I, I'm, I like the coffee clean as it is. And actually open a cafe where you offer coffee without milk. Like just, you know, without milk and sugar, just enjoy it as a tea rather than a calorie device, right? Because we have no sugar. Yeah, we had no sugar either. There you go. You know, everybody says, oh, that cannot work. So, okay, there is a place where it worked. Awesome. You just proved my point. Yeah, it works. It just, it depends on where and who you're with and how much time you want to wait for people to turn up. But no, this, this one was pretty much successful from the day it opened. I used to think, I mean, um, I've heard the word from Ben Kaminsky, but, that, uh, but it was a word that a lot of people were using a while ago, that espresso is fundamentally flawed. It does not work with specialty coffee. doesn't. Then, no, we've developed a little bit. Roasters have developed a little bit. We started putting a little bit more water through our coffee into the cup. 
And uh, no, it's starting to work. I'm enjoying espresso much more now than in the past, but given the choice, yeah, I'm still, I'm still a filter person. Yeah, but unfortunately, the business world is about espresso. So we have to kind of a little bit cater there. And, you know, there's, as you said, there's a lot of experimentation with espresso, which is great because when I started, it was very specific definition, seven grams, you know, <laughs> and you go. And there's no way you can do something else because you're not doing espresso. Yeah. You know, so the open mind really changed that. I don't think people realize how hard it was in the past. And, and it is very simple. The more water you put through your espresso, the more it will extract. Very simple thing to say. It took us, like, I don't know, 12 years to work that out. Well, anyhow, very important thing you mentioned before, the location. What does location mean for a future business owners? We have all this saying in every business book says that location, location, location. So what do you think about the location? Depends on the, the city. Uh, we, in London, loads of people, loads of people everywhere. We have put coffee places in out, slightly out of the way places and people come. If there isn't much good coffee in a city, people will go to where there's tasty coffee and you're nice. But if you're full, if your city is full of tasty coffee people being nice, then you have to be a lot more convenient. So people like nice coffee with nice people, but they would rather walk somewhere close rather than having to go a long way. But when we started in London, I, I know people that had, had driven one hour to come every Sunday for a coffee. Wow. There was a time our queue was 40 minutes from ordering to the end of the queue. We knew this couldn't last. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was on a Sunday. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. They were coming because we were the only decent coffee that there was. So we were looking at it going, okay, when the queue stops this, it's probably not us. It's the fact that in London, there's going to be more and more options for people that on their Sunday, they don't have to take up coming for the one cup of decent coffee that they get in a week. So we, we knew as the, the queue started to get shorter, it was because coffee was becoming more available, decent coffee. And it was a really good thing. And it was a nice thing for us because we were less stressed as well. So I think location depends very much on the development of specialty within your city or town or, or village. But it's also a balance between the rent as a percentage of your total turnover. I, in many ways... I really enjoy making lots and lots of coffees, but I'd rather be slightly around the corner and out the way and be a little bit more choosy of my customers. I'd rather choose my customers through the atmosphere and what is on my menu. But then when, once I've chosen my customers, I really want to be nice to them and I want those people to have an amazing experience and tell their friends and bring other like-minded people in to my cafe. I don't want to 
just be on a high street where I'm serving everybody anything that I possibly can just to pay the rent because then it's no fun anymore. You know, I think this is the best way how to represent a specialty great coffees is uh, you create your niche and uh, within your niche you have your own kind of people. You're basically building a community around your uh, yes. cafe with like-minded people. Yeah. So the business people don't get this very easily because obviously they want to make profits. They want to do everything what other people do and they already proved that they created profits. But, you know, what you were talking about is doing something brand new cater to very, maybe very small community, but very loyal community. Mm. Let me explain. I mean, because you're in the North America, so they'll probably sort of get this. What we've managed to do at our shop is we've managed to make a profit, <laughs> which is good. Uh, but we've also managed to have eight ounces as our biggest size, takeaway and in for all drinks. Eight ounces is the biggest size. We do no syrups um, and we have no different types of milk. We have soy and we have full fat milk from uh, a farm quite close to London. That's it. And on our menu, we have a four ounce, six ounce and an eight ounce cup. And that's our menu. It's very simple. So making our speed, uh, it's not very complex, it's very simple, good quality. and done. We don't do 12 ounce, we don't do 16 ounce, we don't do 10 ounce. If we'd have competed with the, the chains that are doing the syrups and doing the semi-skimmed and the skimmed and the, the milks, then uh, we, we would lose because they are so much more powerful than us on on costs and marketing and location. So we have to find something to differentiate ourselves, to make ourselves different. And we do that by, one, being nice, but two, by focusing on what we're good at. And what we're good at is balancing taste. So balancing the taste of the coffee with the milk and making it a really enjoyable experience. Wow, man, you're talking to my heart. Yesterday I had a question. I, I had a presentation on, uh, you know, uh, how to start a coffee roasting business. And uh, one gentleman said that, you know, everybody is drinking in his town, Starbucks. So he's going to do something like Starbucks. And I said, why would no. they pick you? I mean, Starbucks yeah. has the brands. Yes. Starbucks, you know, has the kind of like coolness, right? If everybody drinks yes. that. Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of money. They can destroy you with marketing. I mean, they can put billboards, like wrap your shop with billboards. Why would you do Starbucks? I really, really like Starbucks. Mm -hmm. I think they're amazing. And what they've done and their new roastery in Seattle just blew my mind away. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. I, there is no way I'm going to compete with Starbucks. Exactly. I'm going to choose where they're weak and then I will, uh, I will provide that. Or a little part of the market which they neglect. They, yes. they don't care because it's too small, but it's yes. big enough for you because you don't need to be Starbucks. Absolutely. Wow, that's great. Absolutely. I, I'm, glad to, I, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, I will send this gentleman this uh, podcast and he can, he can hear that. Hey, this is how it works. When you're starting, you have to find something different. You cannot copy the, the giant. It is easy for us to say. It, it is hard for some people to understand now, but back in like 99, when we refused to go above eight ounce and we refused to do anything but full fat and we refused to do syrups. It was like, what? And we refused to do fair trade at the time. 
it was very confusing and we didn't know where the market was going. But I think this direction is going to be uh, the future. Well, it's going to create a new industry and it has. I agree with you. You know, when we restarted in 2012, we did the light roast, which was, again, people were like, this cannot sell in Slovakia. Slovakia is espresso culture. We're like, well, yeah, maybe, but we believe in this and we want to do this. And then I remember when we brought uh, to Slovakia first time Aeropress, very complicated procedure, you know, bringing Aeropress to uh, Slovakia, because at that time they had this deal that we could buy it from Czech Republic. And at that time it was expensive to ship it. Anyhow, so we did that. We brought Chemex, we brought... A Hario and everybody's like, nobody will use that. That you know, it's ugly. It the water, the the coffee tastes like water. Everybody is laughing us off. Today, the same people are doing trainings in in those you know like uh, brewing methods, which is great. I mean, you know, that's awesome because yeah. it picked up. But it's it's also awesome, not only from business perspective that we did it, we were the ones, but it's also very good that uh, you did a dent in something. You did a dent in universe, as you know, uh, Steve Jobs used to say that. So it's kind of cool that you influence people to try something new. And that's really yes. awesome, you know. And the Aeropress champion of the world is Slovakian. Yes, he's our former our guy. He left us. Uh, that's a long story. I don't want to talk on podcast with that. It's a very sad story. But yes, we supported him. He was uh, competing yeah. for us. We sent him out. We were cheering there. We put up some videos where my hands were shaking as, you know, as they announced him as a winner. And he totally well, deserved what it. You said, from what you said about Aeropress was not accepted in mm-hmm. Slovakia. And now there's an Aeropress world champion, Slovakian. And vice champion from previous year, the second place yes, of Slovakia. That's yeah? right. It is amazing. And I'm, it's great. You said it's very easy to start a cafe in London. But... No, no, it's very easy to start a business. Okay, sorry. Yeah. But hey, where do you get the money? It depends what you do. It's like uh, sometimes you don't need much money because you just find a place, make some filters, sell it. People love coffee. Even though we think there's a lot of good coffee around, people are not connected to it yet. They, they've not been exposed to it. And once you find those people, they, they love you. And they fund you and you can gently, slowly expand. Has been Roaster started off as, uh, who's in, from the UK, uh, started off in a shed. So like the small little house in the bottom of the garden. And uh, before he started moving to a larger industrial estate. Who would you think would be the ideal people to talk to when you say, okay, but you still need some money, obviously, you know, let's say you need some basic capital. Who would be the first one you will run to? Well, it, it depends. It's like, <laughs> it seems to be uh, more and more meet people these days. For Proofrock, what we did, we ran to, because we've been involved in the industry a long time, we ran to a baker that we knew. Um, there's a food market in London called Borough Market. And we were there at the start of the food market. You know, it's one of those occasions where there's like 10 market stalls and you think, ah, nobody's really coming, but it's okay. We're really enjoying it and chatting. So we'll come every weekend. And then like three years later, it's packed. And uh, every there's like hundreds of stalls everywhere. It's crazy. And so one of the stalls there was a German baker. And so Klaus, he'd seen our passion and he's sort of helped a couple of small businesses that he's seen at uh, 
Borough Market and uh, we just asked him to help us. So he became one of the partners. It's one of those strange relationships where it's very modern in some ways where he provides the money. Jeremy provides the time on the shop floor and I'm providing like the knowledge. And the three of us together are equal partners. Mm -hmm. So even though Jeremy and I didn't have the money, I had some machines and some uh, knowledge and contacts but Jeremy had the time. We all had something that the other didn't have. And the three together own the business in equal shares. I don't think the person, the economic capital is not necessarily the, the most dominant. There is the economic capital. There's the social capital, the ability to sort of relate to suppliers and customers and everything. There's the knowledge capital of, because basically what you're doing with the customer is you're turning something into a tasty product and sending the coffee, uh, the customer away happy. And it takes knowledge to do that. Uh, and then you need the time to put into the business. So they're all capitals in their own way. So I think money in the past has been overemphasized. That's a very interesting concept. I'll share mine, uh, just if the guys are thinking to bring in partners. We started three of us, the Green pa- re- restarted again mm. because Green Petition existed. Peter, who is the roaster and CEO today. Nice guy. Nice guy. He, uh, he was just a barista, a passionate barista. He did not know to roast. He didn't know anything, but he really wanted to do it. Like, really, he was the, the engine, and he still is the engine. He brought, you know, a minimal capital investment. But I, I did want it some capital investment simply because yes. once you do that, they are more kind of motivated. They are more into the business, you know. This is true. And then it was me who brought the know-how, knowledge, the brand. You know, I put in some money, roster and stuff like that. And we had another one who was supposed to be our, like, what you call the contact guy. You know, the one who... Yeah can uh, dance on the dance floor and he's very handsome and he knows how to talk to people because me and Peter, we are introverts. So uh, that's a different... Yeah, it's a social capital. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. That. It did not really work. He he left us. Well, we don't know exactly why we, you know, it was a very gentleman and very nice uh, divorce. But I really miss that. You know, I really miss him because he was very good with, you know, socializing and kind of like representing the company. And, you know, as much as personally, I don't care about how you look and how you talk. I care what you can, you know, do or what you can, how interesting are you? People do care how you look. People do yeah. care how you present very yourself. Important. Yeah. You have to look professional and you have to act professional. And what's been very strange at trade shows recently, in 2009, when I started to sort of <laughs> realize there was a bigger coffee world, was uh, the... The baristas were really scruffy and all the sales guys were in suits and and wearing terrible perfume. And now it's like the baristas are smart and sharp and clean and good haircuts. And uh, the aprons are almost like to keep anything there they have away from the customer. In the past, we used to wear aprons to protect ourselves now it's like the baristas are sharp and clean and professional. The salespeople are sloppy and trying to look cool. And it's like, yeah, what's happened? What's happened to this world? 
Yeah, I, I don't understand when the coffee people wear perfume. I have to say, um, I do. Oh, that, yeah, <laughs> I do private cl- classes in my house sometimes, you know, cupping and uh, roasting and stuff like that. And I had a student. The person yeah, came with tough. loaded with perfume. I was like, you cannot do this, man. Next time you come, we cannot even cup here, you know. I know this is kind of cool, whatever. But, you know, when you do coffee, you just want to smell coffee, nothing else. You don't want to smell me. You don't want to smell yourself, not, not perfume. Yeah. You when, just want to smell coffee. When you do coffee, going through the duty-free part of the airport is usually the most disgusting part. <laughs> the smells is like, really? What is this? This is like pollution. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Pollution. I like that. Yeah. We talked a little bit about how to look for investors and it's really like individual. And which one interesting thing, which I noticed, uh, is that you had an interview with the European uh, coffee trip guys. Yes. Yeah. He, they are cool. They are, you know, they're interesting. Guys. From nothing to giant boom. That's, that's an impressive story and- there. To be honest, they they don't know things about coffee. They're not baristas. They're not geeks like that. They're just interested, really exactly. interested. They're curious, yeah. Yeah, curious. So they don't talk nonsense and they're not scared to say, I don't know. And because they've not been scared to say, I don't know, and because they've not been trying to make themselves look important, People have brought them in and told them things. So these guys are learning faster <laughs> than many other people that I've met in the coffee industry. I agree with you. I agree with you. So they had an interview with you and you said something like, uh, the investors want to invest in something what is tried and tested. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's kind of a little bit challenging to find investors. And I think this is only true for Europe. Because here, in a, especially in, in a place where I live, Bay Area, where the Silicon Valley is just, you know, not far yes. away, people want to invest in something crazy, something which is nuts. So it's kind of interesting to see these two different worlds of, yeah. of investors. So perhaps, I don't know, just a crazy <laughs> idea. If a European person wants to open a crazy cafe, maybe they should look in the United States for investors. That's a very interesting idea because... Um, Everything we do is shaped by what's around us. And I, I've um, recently I figured out that I've made um, coffee behind the bar in shifts, proper shifts in uh, 37 different places, uh, countries. The more I've traveled, the more I've realized that just how different everything is uh, everywhere. The Green Petition would not happen if I would not move here to California. Really? No, the Green Plantation would be exactly the same as it was in 2001 when I established it. And it was dark roasted coffee on a Probot LG3. By the way, beautiful roaster from 1938. But that's it because that's what Slovaks were drinking. I did did not have open eyes. To come into California, it really helped not only my personal development, but also see what's out there. It's great. I mean, for me, this environment was really good to open my eyes. There, I said it. I admit it. <laughs> <laughs> what are the most common mistakes a coffee owner can do to their business? Wastage. Wastage for how many shots does it take you to dial in? How many shots do you throw away? How much bits of milk do you throw away? That's just in the, the, the coffee. H- how long do you flush? 
do you flush your group head for more than two seconds? If so, why? Because you are paying for that water. It's going through your filtration system. You're spending electricity, heating it, and it comes out. It's like you know, wastage generally is bad in coffee shops. The other one is speed. We focus on quality for ever since Proofrock has been open. We've weighed in every shot and we've weighed out the beverage yield for everything. One thing we haven't done is focus on speed. How long will it take your barista to, from, from the starting point to serve four cappuccinos? How long will it take them to make four espressos? Are you just using double shots? If you're using just double shots, what's that meaning to your, to your speed? And how many more people can you, can you serve in that time? And are you focusing so much on the business and so much on the figures that you're refusing to put your head up and smile at your customer and look around and view it from your customer's perspective? Have you lost that sort of empathy? Continue to view it through the customer's perspective is definitely big. There was a guy who was the husband of the lady that ran Monmouth Coffee or owned Monmouth Coffee, Randolph. Now, Randolph owns the cheese shop next door to Monmouth Coffee. And he said, so what is the first thing you do before you open the shop or the last thing you do once you've prepared before you open the shop? I have no idea. I make, normally I make myself a, a coffee and sit, giving him various sort of terrible answers. The answer was simple. It's like before you open your shop, what you do is you go outside, you walk up to your shop. What does it look like? Is it full of rubbish outside? You walk in, you follow the customer's path. Is the drips down the, the counter? What does it look like? Can you see any rubbish on the counter? And you walk the way that the customer does and you sit down, then you have your coffee and you look at your shop from the customer's perspective. You don't stand behind the bar having your, your coffee and your croissant. You actually sit where the customers sit and see what the customers are seeing because ultimately they're, they're the ones that are going to enjoy the experience, not the person behind the bar. It's so obvious. Isn't it amazing how so many of the really good tips are like the most ridiculously obvious ones that make you feel really stupid? It does feel me extremely stupid. I never thought about this this way. Uh, I was yeah. like, this is the best tip I got uh, for a long time. Like, I never thought about examining a cafe from, or anything from a perspective of, uh, of a customer and going through the process. Because obviously, it's, it's, you, know, you learn that, or you, you should think what customers customer think. But just actually going through that process yourself. Every morning. Before you open. Exactly. That's, that's, a, that's a priceless yeah. tip. Yeah, thanks. But because you travel a lot, you probably saw a lot of interesting trends emerging. Did you see some model which you said, whoa, this is probably the future of the cafe industry? I would like to say yes, but the, the answer is no. I'm finding the, the places that developed quickest with specialty are basically copying each other. It's easier to copy a business model that seems to be working and to develop your own. Mm -hmm. And so the places where specialty 
devil at first seem to have pretty boring and non-working business models. Some of the places that are developing a little bit later, they have some more interesting business models. But really, the, the saddest part of specialty coffee is that everybody seems to be copying what everybody else is doing instead of treating it like a business. And I'm the, probably the worst person to say that because um, when I started, I never treated it as a business. I treated it as a passion. And uh, the thing is, I, I understand my mistakes. And uh, yeah, that's where I went wrong. And now as Proofrock, we're, you know, we're having to backtrack and take a lot of the time to put in systems and mission statements and so forth. I put this question next step further and uh, ask you if I put a gun into your head and say, tomorrow you have to open an innovative cafe, how it will look like? Definitely it would be a multi-experience cafe. What does it mean? You can go to the same space, but you can have multiple experiences. So maybe you're in a rush to work. So you go there and you can grab a coffee and you leave quickly. The next time you go in and you have a little bit of time because maybe your client didn't turn up for an interview. So what you can do is uh, sit down and talk to the barista a little bit longer and uh, they can tell you about the coffee. And the next time maybe your mother turns up. So you want to sit there quietly and, and ha give your mother a really good experience but also have some, some quiet. Maybe you don't want a coffee. Maybe you want something else. So I, I would like to have a cafe where you can have more than one experience. The problem with that is you have to have an incredibly well-trained staff to do it. But one of the advantages of that is if a chain cafe or even one of the new transnational specialty coffee places opened up next door to you, you can offer something different because you're all offering different experiences, not just the same old takeaway model that's got a few shiny edges to it. You know, as a roaster, I'll, I'll ask you, how important would be the quality of coffee in that cafe? At the moment, people are getting away with not. Some baristas are not noticing the quality of the coffee because they deal with it every day and they're not tasting anything different. I mean, the classic is that they get used to the acidity mm -hmm. and they go for the texture and they're dialing in calibrating their grinder for something that they like but the customer doesn't because they got used to this intensity and they're telling the customer that it's nice and the customer's telling and it's meant to be like that and the customer doesn't really like it and the customer feels stupid i think that the way forward is to taste as many different coffees as you can dark roast light roast put them on the cupping table, taste them, score them, use score sheets, but also use what you feel as well. So, you know, if you if you don't want to use the score sheets, use smiley faces, miserable face, really happy face, uh, face, intermediate face. See which ones you think your customers will like and then serve those. Don't just buy in coffee. The idea of buying in coffee, 200 euros plus, of coffee without even tasting it from an industry that is like a notoriously inconsistent the roasting industry is crazy i want to have a sample from any roaster that i buy from over 200 euros 
I will taste it and then I will serve it to my customers. Okay, so now from my side, I'm talking not about you personally or about cafes like in Bratislava is the urban house, right? Very yeah, yeah, professional yeah, baristas, you know, we sell coffee to them. But I'm talking about, let's say, regular cafes. When they contact us and they ask for samples, I'm not very happy to send them samples for a simple reason. No. I'm not sure how they are going to prepare the coffee. What I what? offer is send my barista there together with prepare coffee. And I always give this warning to all roasters that make sure that you go there and prepare the coffee well ideally the the customer comes to you to your roaster and you show what you do and you know you prepare the coffee in your environment that's the easiest right to do the pitch right in your home but if you have to do it in their cafe make sure that you appear in their cafe and don't just send samples because you never know how they make your coffee oh i would love somebody from a roaster that we buy coffee from to turn up in our coffee and cup with us and make it with us in our cafe. That would be amazing. And once you've built that level of trust with the roaster, that's amazing. But this never happens. It has to happen, man. I mean, we do that. And also, like, I was in uh, Seattle, not this year, but last year on SCAA. We went to a, a fancy restaurant, Petit Cochon. Close to this restaurant is a roastery. They work together with a chef to make the menu. And they keep it easy. You know, I always yes. say they just yeah, do French press. They have Baratza grinders, nothing yes. fancy, but it's clean, amazing coffee, which Jeff and the roaster work together. That's the future. Nice. I love that. That's nice. That's really nice. As a cafe owner, want relationships with roasters. I have to. And I want an honest relationship with roasters as well. I want to be able to say, I don't like this. And I want the roaster to be honest, saying, oh, sorry, we messed up. Or I want the roaster to go, okay, we'll send somebody and they make it. And they go, oh, no, no, no. We are trying for this flavor because roasters seem to be very protective of their reputation and brand and fearful in some ways. And I want somebody to come to my cafe and talk to me and build that relationship with a person, not just over the phone or an email or something like that, but actually over a cupping table or over an espresso machine. Okay, Roasters, did you hear this? And I, I think that this is the way how to, you, it can work. Oh, wow, another great episode with William Davies. Next time I fly to Europe, I'm going to try to fly through London and stop by a proof frog. I also have to try Square Mass and Has Been Coffee. Everybody talks about them, so I have to try them. If you like this show, feel free to let Gwilym or any of our previous guests know. Use Twitter, Facebook, or when you meet them in person, just tell them, dude, you rock. What about coffeecourses.com? What is coffeecourses.com? We started our first and flagship course, Bootcamp Coffee, because we wanted to offer boot coffee courses to people who cannot come to Bootlab in California. Within the first year of existence, we saw a huge need for coffee education, and while Boot Coffee is specializing on courses in quality control and coffee roasting, we wanted to offer more. So we teamed up with a local roastery, Equator Coffees and Teas, and together with the head of coffee education, Deborah Fordiger, we created Bootcamp Barista. Now, while working on Bootcamp Barista, we realized that there are plenty of passionate trainers who would love to share their perspective on coffee skills like roasting, cupping, brewing, espresso, 
This is why we started to work on coffeecourses.com, the online platform not only for coffee students, but also open for coffee trainers from different companies and training schools with different skill set and perspective on already existing topics and give them the marketplace where they can offer their skills to the whole world. Our goal is to make coffee courses into an app store of coffee courses. You're the first ones I publicly share this idea with and your thoughts are more than welcome. Let me know if you have a skill you would like to teach via our platform. It would be great to get in touch. Do not be shy. I'm certain that Coffee World can benefit from your skills. My email is valerian at coffees.me or you can just contact me via our website coffees.me and click contact and fill out the form and I will get back to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you for all your reviews, inputs and emails. Talk to you soon. Bye.